Welcome listeners to another episode of the Premium Investment Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Damien Chilney, Head of Investment Managers and Governance at Premium. Today we're joined by Suhas Nayek, Portfolio Manager from Alan Gray. Alan Gray was founded in 2005 and is a specialist Australian equity manager located in Sydney with fund of $10 billion across institutional and retail clients. And about our speaker, Suhas joined Alan Gray as an analyst in 2011 and has been a portfolio manager since 2016. And prior to this, Suhas spent five years at McKinsey & Co, leaving as an engagement manager. He has a Bachelor of Science with honours from Caltech and holds a Doctor of Philosophy and Mathematics from Stanford. Suhas, welcome to the program. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about Australian equities, value in investing and contrarian behaviour. And it's been an interesting period for value as an investment style with a growth factor dominating for an unprecedented five years or so, and then value making a bit of a comeback in 2022. But the picture in 2023 has been a little bit more mixed as investors herding once again into a few favourites. So we're going to talk about herding, contrarian behaviour and and your approach to all of this. But to kind of set the scene, so just tell us about Alan Gray's, I suppose, unique investment approach uh, to to investing and how you've organised your team to uh, deliver on that. Yeah, so Alan Gray is a long-term fundamental and contrarian manager. Um, I I think the long-term and the contrarian bits are some of the key features of the strategy. Um, Being long-term can be difficult in this environment. Um, In most earnings calls, you get analysts who are always asking about the next six months, the next 12 months of earnings and what could sway earnings here or there um, over that period. But our task is really to focus on what the next three, four, five years could look like. And so that can be difficult in in this world filled with noise and information. Um, The second part uh, that is also difficult or could be difficult is um, being contrarian and doing it consistently. Um, And why is it difficult? Well, generally means that you're going to be going after fairly unpopular stocks, things that most people will think are close to basket cases. You're going to look um, embarrassed at times. And so it goes against most of our instincts uh, as social humans to be in unpopular uh, areas of the market and then be willing to be embarrassed every now and then. Um, And so how do we organize ourselves so that the strategy can keep delivering that long-term focus and being contrarian consistently, um, it comes down to people and process. And I think on the people side, we try and hire people who have a bit of a science and engineering bent, who don't have um, the baggage from other investment firms because, you know, um, growing that capability um, within the firm uh, tends to be quite important. Um, and so we, we try and find these sorts of people who can separate uh, fact from opinion. Um, and that helps us stay different, uh, stay contrarian, and stay long-term focused. And then on the process side, I think we try and make sure people uh, act independently. Um, and we ensure that all voting on stocks is done independently ahead of time, um, and we try and avoid that groupthink that can that can come to permeate um, uh, firms, and yeah, uh, it, it could detract from this the strategy. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's an interesting uh, point in itself, where 
you kind of want individual thought in a sense, but then you still want a collegiate kind of, uh, I suppose, behaviour and also there has to be a common direction as well. So kind of getting that balance right is very, very difficult, I imagine. Um, it is. I, I think we want our analysts to have the freedom to explore um, and we, we encourage them to do that. And when we debate ideas, it's not about the analyst who's brought the ideas and hopefully they you know, they realise that it's not about them, it's about the idea. And so for, for many, going against the herd, and you kind of touched on that earlier, um, it, it, it can be, it's extremely uncomfortable for humans generally on that. that. So what, why should advisors consider adopting this kind of mindset of seeking, I suppose, discomfort and going against the herd uh, with their own investment decisions and how they uh, position client portfolios? You know, how does that serve their clients in the long term? Uh, so I think going against the herd lets you buy good assets at lower prices. Mm. And I think over the long run, that can deliver outsized returns. Um, when, you, when you're looking to buy an asset, even when you're looking to buy a house, you're trying to get a good deal. Um, and when you get, you get a good deal when there are more uh, sellers uh, typically in the market than there are buyers. Um, and that happens normally when people are a bit uncomfortable about the situation for whatever reason. Um, and so we're trying to find those opportunities in the market where um, there's a discount to what is fair value and, and there's a reasonable discount. So you've got a little bit of a margin of safety um, when you're deploying that capital. Um, and then I guess on the flip side of that, we're, we're trying to buy uh, to sell those good assets when um, prices match the quality of those assets. And so, you know, we're buying assets at a discount and then selling back at that um, in intrinsic value that we see. Mm. Um, I think that's that's a way to deliver returns over the long run. I think the other feature of this uh, is that we can be quite uncorrelated. And so there is a bit of a diversification benefit for clients over the long run as well. So on that point, uh, f for many, the, the idea of going against the herd, and you, you kind of mentioned that a few times, um, it, it, it can be uncomfortable. It's not something that's very natural to, to humans. So why, why should advisors also have a look at adopting this kind of mindset for, with their own portfolio construction? Uh, I think uh, going against the herd lets you buy assets at a discount um, uh, and then hopefully sell them at, at prices that are closer to intrinsic value. Um, and doing that consistently over a long period of time can deliver outsized returns. And I think that's what we try and do. Um, Going against the herd means that often there are more sellers in the market than there are buyers in the market, and that often means that you can get a good deal. Um, when you're out buying a house, that it's helpful when there aren't too many other people competing for that asset. And I think that's the kind of philosophy we bring to equities as well. Um, and over the long run, I think that can deliver returns um, with some volatility in, in, in the process, but... Um, uh, it also can deliver quite a bit of diversification um, because we, we don't have a lot of overlap with um, with other managers in, in terms of the names we hold, um, and that diversification can also help client portfolios. Yeah, and uh, that's true. You know, looking at your portfolio holdings compared to many of your peers, you know, there is a very different um, set of uh, top names at a minimum, and, and I think it extends all the way through. And uh, there's definitely some benefits uh, from that blending perspective, um, not only in names, but also when those returns are going to occur. Would you say you're probably uh, the deepest value manager out there in the market? Um, 
Well, I think I think there is very little overlap in the in the names that we have with other managers, and I think uh, it is actually a prompt that we have when when we see other managers hold some of the stocks that we have at, at, at large weights. We we do wonder whether we're in the right places because if we're trying to buy things that are um, cheap because you know they're unpopular and there's a bit of discomfort around. Uh, then we may not want to be in some of those names. So it, it can be a prompt for for looking at new stocks. Fair enough, fair enough. And, and looking at uh, those un- uncomfortable stocks, you know, how do you differentiate between genuinely undervalued or those that are just simply underperforming and you know may, may not re-race in the future as well? Because that's, a, I suppose, the, the balancing act out of this. You could be contrarian at the front, but actually you need the market to recognize you as well and actually the herd to catch up in a way. You know, is there telltale signs that you could see on those turnarounds of things that should get through, let's say? I wish there were. Um, uh, unfortunately, I think with investing, uh, good managers, good managers get, get it right 60% of the time. But there's a flip side to that. Even those good managers get it wrong 40% of the time. And it's probably something that most people don't want to admit. Um, but uh, yeah, getting it wrong 40% of the time means that um, you are going to look embarrassed every now and then. And, and are there ways to figure out which ones are going to end up on that 40%? Uh, probably not. Um, if there were telltale signs, um, those telltale signs would probably be priced in by the market yeah. and some of the opportunity would be lost. And so um, th- there aren't metrics as such. I think one of the learnings we've had over the last 10 or so years is that when you're buying things that are structurally challenged, um, and we do do that from time to time, you really want to buy them very, very cheaply. Yeah. Um, and I think that is the one thing that perhaps over time, uh, we could make sure that we're doing that uh, more than we have in the past. Mm. And so what, what does that, that protects you lock in in terms of an asset breakup at that point of time? That is that where the protection kind of comes in at those really depressed, structurally challenged levels? Yeah, I think the you know asset backing helps, um, but I think the the reason that you really want to to buy them very very cheaply is that structurally challenged companies. Uh, because they have an imperative to survive, they, they end up using the capital that they're generating. Even if it looks like a lot of cha- cha- uh, capital relative to the share price, um, they'll use it to kind of dig themselves out of the hole and, mm. and doesn't necessarily come back to shareholders at the rate or the quantum that you, you would expect. Um, and I think that is, a, that is something we've learned probably the hard way of the years. Yeah, mm. yeah no, for, uh, lots of experience, I imagine, uh, very much through the team. And so, so let's just talk about uh, uh, about certain sectors. And is there any sectors in particular that uh, have been more uncomfortable than others? Um, and are those sectors uh, are they showing some latent opportunities? Is that um, is there something structural around that there, or do these sectors kind of rotate, let's say, over time, and then new ones are unpopular and so forth? Yeah, I think uh, we're, we're bottom-up builders of portfolio. So we look for individual stocks to, to put into the portfolio that look deeply discounted. But every now and then there are particular sectors that have a collection of those stocks um, that look particularly interesting. And so every now and then the portfolio looks quite tilted in a particular yeah. direction. 
Um, back in during the GFC, um, there was uh, the REITs. They yes. they they got really hammered. The portfolio went up to 30, 35% exposure to REITs, which is huge in the context of the, of the market, um, uh, a huge overweight. Uh, but that's where the value was identified. And so, so we went in hard there. Um, more recently, um, uh, the portfolio has had up to 20, 25% um, in energy um, up until 2021, 2022, uh, because again, that's where the the value seemed to have been built up mm. or the latent value. Um, and so the portfolio from time to time does tilt towards particular sectors. We're now at the stage where uh, maybe that there isn't a clear sign as to which sector um, the, the opportunities seem to be a little bit more idiosyncratic. Yeah. But there are particular sectors that are generating some interest from a research perspective. So um, things like office REITs, uh, you know, starting to look interesting. Uh, consumer discretionary, because everyone's afraid of the recession that's coming tomorrow. Um, and so, you know, some of that um, is generating interest, research interest, but it's not a big feature of the portfolio. Sure. Yet. Yeah. And, and I appreciate it, it's still uh, a work in progress, but what is the, the negative sentiment, say, around office REITs and discretionary? Um, that that's kind of guiding this very poor outlook, let's say, for 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 these stocks, but from a sentiment point of view, I, I think with office rates, it's things like uh, occupancy levels and declining occupancy levels. Um, as uh, you know, people work from home. Uh, a recession would compound that because yeah. there would be less demand for floors. Um, and I think uh, over the years, a lot of the assets have been written up to to quite extraordinary levels. Um, because of lower and lower interest rates. And so those three things kind of working the other way may change uh, people's view of, you know, the future trajectory of earnings. That's it, because there's a tendency to extrapolate. So I think like on a work from home and obviously office attendance, as everyone's kind of thinking, well, it's only 20% occupancy there ever after, amen. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And and so that's the worry, you know, if occupancy suddenly drops by that 30, 40% because, you know, people don't need as much office space as, as um, they had wanted in the past, mm. then there's going to be a lot of space and, and income streams for these office rates are really going to collapse. Mm. And that's that's where I think the fear is starting to build. Um, it's, that kind of scenario is not yet reflected in share prices. Mm. Um, but, you know, some of that trajectory towards that is starting to get priced in um and so yeah it could get interesting and there is you know hard asset backing around yeah particular buildings yeah. and if they're good buildings and good locations then maybe there's some value in some of them and it isn't there there's some discussion now about uh cbd uh buildings about where they could get converted also into residential as well and this kind of you know i suppose overlapping around housing shortages as well too so there could be Mm. A refurb or uh, a re-engineering of uh, some of those. Uh, it's true, although the repurpose costs are quite quite high. Yeah. Um, you know, offices only have one or two bathrooms per floor. You need a lot of <laughs> a, good a lot of extra yeah. plumbing yeah. And, you know, to get to get apartments out of them. But um, but that's not the only cost. Yeah, yeah. sure. And on um, consumer discretionary as well too. I suppose you know this this looming recession that we've been waiting since like probably back of 22 and now we're in a third quarter of 23 hasn't shown itself in its full form as yet 
But is that put a lot of negative sentiment around discretionary? Uh, yeah, I think the sentiment around the recession has rolled through different stocks at, at different yeah. times. Um, and so we've been trying to find those stocks that are pricing in recession the most because if a recession happens, well, it's already priced into yeah. the stock price. Um, if it doesn't happen, they're going to do well. If um, And if it does happen, well, uh, fast forward a year or two and the recession's over, as long as the assets are still good and the earning streams are you know, more or less intact, then those stocks should do quite well from where they are today as well. Um, so there are some opportunities uh, that we're finding in things like building products um, uh, and some select dis- uh, consumer discretionary names where I think people are starting to think, well, earnings next year are going to be awful. Yeah. And they may well be. Um, but again, it's that long-term focus and trying to look through that and yeah. what's on the other side. Yeah. And and they have, uh, there's certain discretionary stocks that kind of surprised a little bit on the upside in the, in the last 12 months or so because sentiment has been that bad. And it, when it's come through, it hasn't been as bad as what everyone expected. So you've kind of seen that in a in this last 12 months already, that kind of uh, behaviour. Yeah, I mean, I think most recently, um, Harvey Norman uh, was one of those companies that delivered uh, a sales number and a sales update that that didn't look so good. Uh, but I think there was a bit of a relief that it wasn't worse than what they yeah. delivered. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's happened to a few different, um, few different names in the market. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, the sentiment might not turn again when when the recession that everyone expects happens. Um, but uh, yeah, these relief r- rallies are not uncommon and sentiment gets that poor. Yeah, no, no, agreed, agreed. And um, so I suppose managing this discomfort, because, you know, you, you're showing names in the portfolio or emerging um, people are, um, and okay, that that's an interesting holding uh, in there. So you're constantly probably having to defend very unpopular uh, kind of decisions there. So how do you, I suppose, manage this kind of, um, these concepts with investors? Because it's not only uncomfortable starting, but then the positions that get entered into. So so what kind of strategies and techniques have you developed over the years to uh, dealing with investors about some of these very uncomfortable positions? Yeah, I don't know if, I'd go so far as to say strategies and techniques. I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, we we just are who we are and we, we try and make sure that investors understand who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that... From the outset. From the outset. Yeah. Uh, right from the get-go, they um, hopefully they understand that we're contrarian, uh, that we're going to be holding very unpopular things, that we're going to underperform and test people's patience yep. um, from time to time. But over the long run, um, hopefully, you know, they'll see the rewards of that. Um but, you know, I think being transparent around what we hold um, and being upfront about our mistakes um, uh, through, the, through the cycle and through many cycles will hopefully stand us in good stead with investors. Mm. And I remember uh, reading uh, one of your last updates around Lendlease, for, uh, for example, and I think, you know, there, there was a very clear and transparent communication about your thesis on uh, Lendlease to, to kind of help investors understand exactly why you initiated that position where you see the latent value. Any kind of summary thoughts uh, about that Lendlease uh, position? Uh, I mean, I think the, you know, where it trades today is below NTA, which is unusual for a company that is a developer and has a lot of its balance sheet written or booked at cost. Yeah. Um, and I think, 
you know, if I were to summarize the thesis in 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 that respect, that that's where the value is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to say that you know these things should trade at a premium to NTA, and we're getting it at a discount. Um, so there seems to be value, but there's also risk. Um, and I think you know we're staring into what could be a property downturn, making it difficult for uh, lendlease to realize assets at good prices, and that can you know detract from some of the capital that they've already invested. And I think that's where the fear is, but hopefully that's where also the opportunity is. Excellent. All right, we might leave it there. That was an excellent discussion. Thank you, Suhas. It was a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again. Thanks, Damien. Thanks. Premium Limited is the issuer of the Investment Leaders and Advice Leaders podcasts. These podcasts are for promotional purposes only and aren't tailored to individual financial situations and do not contain financial advice. Views expressed by presenters may not align with premiums. For more information about premium, including our disclosure documents, please visit our website. We recommend that individuals seek professional financial advice before taking action.